welcome, welcome, welcome. Hello, hello, hello. This is Be Bold America, and I'm your host, Jill Cody. Today our program is Igniting a Bold New Democracy. Are you tired of broken politics and the deteriorating quality of life in America and aware that we need a dramatic shift for democracy to survive? On this program, we will be discussing how to ignite a bold new democracy to create a powerful pro-democracy movement using powerful approaches American citizens have used in the past to create reforms. We have big things to do. Our interview guest today is Dr. Ruth Backstrom, author of Igniting a Bold New Democracy. Dr. Backstrom holds a BA in history and a PhD in education. Ruth spent 10 years working as a community advocate. Through her community advocacy work, she discovered that people are yearning to have conversations about how to solve the problems in our country. In her new book, Igniting a Bold New Democracy, Ruth envisions ways that citizens could come together to have authentic problem-solving conversations again, discover how to respond to these tumultuous times, and then enact reforms as all want. Dr. Backstrom, thank you for being our guest today. Welcome to Be Bold America. Well, thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here, Jill. Well, I'm excited, too. You've written a brilliant book, and I also want to give a shout-out to uh, Karina McFarlane for connecting us, right? Right, absolutely. She's doing the hard work. She is, and I just want to give a shout-out and a thank you to her for linking us uh, together. Dr. Backstrom, uh, to get you started, you wrote in this book that you wrote it for the exhausted majority. I'm one of those people, and I think everyone listening is part of the exhausted majority. Can you expand on that and tell us more about why this book was important for you to write? Yeah, I, I can. I, yeah, I think a lot of us can relate to that. We're, we're tired of the gridlock, and we're tired of the fights back and forth. We'd really like some of these problems to be solved. And I wrote this book really to be a blueprint for change, to give people hope again, you know, based on successful techniques from the past and techniques that are being used in other countries right now. I really think democracy um, should be a a verb. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Because, you know, I think people have taken democracy for granted, and then all of a sudden a group comes along that says, wait a minute, democracy's getting in our way. Let's get rid of this messy thing and uh, fund autocracy instead. So, you know, democracy is a verb, and it really defines on how we want to live together. Uh, What's your vision for us living together? Yeah, I, I think it helps to imagine what it would be like if we reduce the fighting and work together instead. You know, we could restore harmony to our families. I was talking to a friend of mine, and she had tears in her eyes because her family doesn't talk like they used to. So there's so much, so much wrong in our country from our fighting back and forth that could really be healed by remembering our better values. And that's what I argue in this book is that we need to lean into our better values and imagine what it would be like if we could restore harmony. We could come together, reform our democracy, and do great things again. We'd like who you know who wouldn't like that? We'd like to have groups in every state talking about democracy and doing great things again. 
Uh, the historian Stephen Frothero says, culture wars are where nuance goes to die. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the culture wars are also just mainly for divisiveness and distracting. That's right. I, lo- I really want to hone in on that point of distraction, too, yes. because we're all losing under this. It's sort of a divide and conquer, and only the very top 1% are even benefiting, and they're not even benefiting if they look at the long run of what might happen to our democracy and our climate and all these things that are not being addressed. Well, you say also that we need more, I completely agree, more honest and positive communications. But how is this possible when Fox News, Fox so-called news, 1,500 right-wing radio stations nationwide and other extreme networks such as One America Network and Sinclair have built their business models on fostering dishonesty and negative communications. There are no laws against lying. How do we save democracy with this force? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, and I think the people have to stand up and come together and ask for this to stop. We've been naive thinking that we can have this this model of, of free media that just says whatever it wants and there's no kind of regulations whatsoever. I mean, we used to have decent regulations around the media and those have been dialed back. And I think that's another discussion is, do we need another method of the media? Uh, What most democracies do is they have a much more vibrant media that's funded by the government and that's regulated in a really powerful way. And that's kind of, it's kind of a backbone for strong democracy. And that's been made by historians and researchers before is that you can't have a strong democracy without a strong, vibrant media. Well, uh, you touched on something that is very important and why it's so important for everyone to have multiple media sources. For example, you know, MSNBC is considered to be the progressive uh, outlet, and mm-hmm. yet they're owned by a company that um, won't talk about internet neutrality because they own an internet company. <laughs> you know, so you, there are things you still won't hear because they're corporately owned. Right. Right, and that that corporate problem is runs throughout our whole system. I mean, we see it everywhere. And that's why it's really up to the people to change this. And what I like to do is give people a sense of hope in my book by telling stories where we did great things in the past. We made great changes. And I start in the first chapter talking about after World War II, how we, chan- we passed the GI Bill of Rights, which gave 7 million, 7.7 million veterans free education and 2.4 million home loans out as well. And this was a huge shift from our from anything we'd done before. It was considered the greatest sociological experiment. And it was not without being considered radical either. It was like they were the chancellor of the University of Chicago was saying they're going to make hobo jungles out of our college our colleges. And yet it turned out to be great. We had the huge we had this huge middle class. That, that blossomed as a result of investing in people. And this was, a, there was, this was Republican um, legislators that, that were in favor of this, and it was under a Democratic Congress. I mean, we used to work together and be able to do great things. 
And we need to be able to do that again. We need to come back together, remember our legacy of doing great things when we work together and lean into our better values. It was really the it was really the work of these people saying this is a this is the right of veterans to get treated like this instead of after World War One they were not treated like that. There was no sense that we had to take care of and invest in people until a group of people came together and said we can do this. Well, also and the GI Bill. I just to interject a little bit. It created for every dollar investment that the. Um, federal government provided in that bill, the return was $7 to one. So the growth in this country, the as you said, the growth of the middle class, it became about 65% of our country, the largest middle class ever in history. Now, after 40 years of um, austerity and the Reaganism is now down to around 40 to 45%. We've lost a lot of our middle class. And this That's stokes right. the anger. Right? I'm sorry, say that again? And this stokes the anger that people are feeling. Absolutely. Absolutely. People are angry and disappointed and fearful. And there's a sense that we, we're, we've been sort of defeated. We, we've been beaten back in a way so that we don't realize that we used to think we deserve that. And we have to come back to a place where we say, what do we deserve? We deserve that. That We created it. We did it. We created this legacy. We have to return to it. Well, you to also talk about returning to it probably is changing hearts and minds. And you had some thoughts about that. You know, civic groups can unlock society's social conscience. Uh, maybe expand more on that, too. Yeah, yeah, that's probably the secret sauce in my book where I talk about <laughs> how, how do we like actually change hearts and minds? How do we come together as a civic group and bring out what I call the collective wisdom of the of the group and then spread that through the through various other groups as well? I mean, we know that like an individual can work in the zone. They can have this sort of peak level that they work at. But groups can also work in the zone or have their collective wisdom come out. And the example I give is um, an example called dynamic facilitation, which was invented by Jim Roth and has been used in Austria now in a state in Austria called Wollerdrop, where they bring together a citizens council of about 15 people, randomly selected, and then they talk about a topic that they really want the feedback feedback of the people on. So it's a chance to get the voice of the people back into politics. And to give you just an example of how that works, they convened one on immigration because immigration is a huge issue in Austria. And the first thing they, that the group said when they heard the numbers is you have to be more transparent about the number of people that are coming over. And, and then someone else said, well, you know, we also have to see the people behind the numbers. And that kind of stirred the compassion in the room for these people who had left their homeland and were coming here without any support. That's a very and nice phrase. See the people behind the numbers. Yes, yes, exactly. And, and I, then they started talking about, well, what should we do? And they said, well, we should do everything we can to help these people. We should set up job fairs for them, and we should go around and find opportunities for them. Now, interestingly enough, 
at the end of the session, somebody turned to uh, the convener and said, no politician would feel like they had the safety, the cover, to say the kinds of things that these people said. And these people were just speaking from their humanity, their sense of stirred humanity as they came together, their collective wisdom and collective caring. And so then, once they said this, it gave the politicians cover to let them go forward and have these kind of get-togethers where they created what were called are called world cafes, where people came together and talked about the best way to roll out these job fairs and where to have them in different parts of the country and stuff like that. And so it's starting to change the culture. The man who convened these, Manfred Hillrigel, says it's changing the culture in the state. And people are really excited to participate in these councils because they feel like they're really contributing to something really important. They're contributing to their democracy in a way that they haven't felt like they were able to before. And the young people, they want this new culture now, he said. Well, I could not agree more. (laughs) And it also, (laughs) creating cultures brings, builds community, brings people together, gets them off their uh, screens. (laughs) That that, The screen, I think, has divided us even more. You are listening to Be Bold America on KSQD 89.5, 89.7, and 90.7 FM. Many voices, one station. Also, listen globally online from the KSQD Org website. Our topic today is Igniting a Bold New Democracy, and our guest is Dr. Ruth Backstrom. Dr. Backstrom holds a BA in history and a PhD in education. Ruth spent 10 years working as a community advocate where she discovered that people are yearning to have conversations about how to solve our country's problems. In her book, Dr. Backstrom envisions ways that citizens can come together to have authentic problem-solving conversations. Find more about Dr. Backstrom by visiting ruthbackstrom.com. That's Ruth, R-U-T-H. Backstrom, B-A-C-K-S-T-R-O-M.com. I'm your host, Jill Cody. Hello, K-Squid listeners. I'm Tom Hartman, and each weekday at 4 p.m., I bring you a different perspective on the news than you're likely to hear on most media outlets. Please join me on KSQD Santa Cruz, your ink spot on the dial for the Tom Hartman program. Heard now for the first time ever in the Monterey Bay area at 90.7 FM, weekdays at 4 p.m. That's progressive talking conversation with me, Tom Hartman, weekdays at 4 p.m. on KSQD 90.7 FM. Tag, you're it. We're back. Would you like a friend to hear this interview on igniting a bold new democracy? Well, then, tell them that this interview and all others of Be Bold America interviews are available as a podcast. They may subscribe for free from their favorite podcast platforms such as Apple, Google, and Spotify. Our guest today is Dr. Ruth Backstrom, author of Igniting a Bold New Democracy. Now, back to you, Dr. Backstrom. There was an intriguing chapter where you talked about powerful techniques for making visions come true. What are they? Yes, appreciative inquiry is another very powerful technique. What is and that? That's valuable. That's valuable after you've, you know, you've um, cut down on the divisiveness. So I think the first phase is to do DF all around the country. I'd really like to see that happen like it did in Bowlerburg. You mean dynamic facilitation? Dynamic facilitation, yes. 
And that was so successful in Wollerberg that it actually was institutionalized in 2015. They started it in 2005, and 10 years later, it had been so successful that they decided to make it part of their constitution, actually. Wow. Excellent. I'm jealous. <laughs> I know. I know. Yeah. And so, th- so then the next phase would be is great is to use appreciative inquiry, which is a technique that's been a lo- around for a long time and it's proven very effective in bringing people together around a shared vision. And they and they do it through stories. They start with what's already working. Like, let's say you're in a company and you want to um, improve the morale in the company. Well, you tell stories about what were the qualities that people expressed at times when the morale was really high. And then you go from there and you collect that and you analyze all the values. And from those values, you start to imagine, okay, how could we ramp those up so we have even higher morale more constantly? And then you come up with really interesting reforms. It's the, but it's the positivity that's generated that helps them come up with it because you realize that there's a sort of cynicism that sets in. You, you get frozen in a certain way of being. But if you can start to imagine and, and kind of envision the positive side of things, then you can move more qu- quickly and comfortably into trying even more. And people get really excited when they do it, and they start to take initiative on their own. So it's not, it's not just a man, it's not a managed kind of change like is often the case in uh, other organizational development programs. It's one that where you bring the whole group together and they start to work together on all different pieces of it and spontaneously start to to create change. And this would be a really exciting one to do once we get to a point where we're starting to agree and we've kind of reached a point where we're listening to each other. I mean, the biggest thing that we're up against now is people are not listening to each other. And dynamic facilitation is a really powerful way of getting people to listen to each other and hear the deeper things underneath what people are saying. Sometimes, you know, people are saying something, but it really represents something really different. For instance, they were doing a dynamic facilitation session, and and this gentleman was talking about how he didn't want immigrants taking jobs. And the facilitator asked him why. And and that's a great thing. In dynamic facilitation, they go deeper, and they they try and get to what's really at the heart of the issue. What's the need that's being expressed underneath? And he said, well, my niece has been looking for a job for like three years, and she hasn't been able to get a job. And so then they said, well, maybe what we could do is we could open it up so we could offer jobs to immigrants, and we could also offer jobs to anybody who was unemployed and wanted to be have access to this list. So it's a way, dynamic facilitation is a really powerful way of weaving the different concerns together so you get nuance back into the conversation and balance. And we used to be a country that was capable of those things. So we need to see it modeled again and need to see examples of it to pull us back towards that. I struggle with the fact that I heard a couple of weeks ago that 71% of Trump followers listen to Trump over family, friends, and religious leaders. So how do we get people to this table that you're talking about, this, this room, when they don't seem to be open to listening 
other than to one person. Yes, this is a real, a really big problem in our our country. That's a problem. That's yes, I have a whole chapter on that, as you know. Yes, dealing with authoritarianism and the the best thing that the um, psychi- psychiatrist who worked on this said is to get his voice so it's diminished to hear, start hearing other voices. And it's taken us a long time to get to a place where other voices are starting to stand up. I thought it was interesting that um, in the last debate, Nikki Haley was saying, and people are starting to say, you know, we're tired of the drama. And I think there will come a time, and we have to kind of help push that message as well. The exhausted majority. The the exhausted majority are tired of the drama. Go on. I'm sorry to interrupt. I just wanted to say they're exhausted too. (laughs) Go ahead. Yeah, there was a gentleman actually who was saying that. Um, I can't remember now where I heard this, but he was saying, you know, I voted for Trump. I was in favor of him in 2020, and I'm tired of him. (laughs) (laughs) Boring. That's right. He said, I'm tired of the, I'm tired of the drama. Yes, we know the shtick. (laughs) Yeah. Like, we need to solve these problems, Mm -hmm. big problems, really. We we need to get get away from the drama and come together and start talking about them and find solutions and be solution-oriented. Well, you brought up the uh, debate, and (laughs) I did write down in my notes here something that I heard, and again, uh, I don't mean to be contrary, but I struggle with what the reality is versus uh, the ideas in your book, which I think are fabulous, and I want to... Uh, I want them to come to be <laughs> where we get these councils going. And and um, I learned that just before the debate, the Republican National Committee did a really res- reprehensible act uh, and paid Rumble, who is their uh, paid partner that places ads for the RNC. They do the streaming site for the RNC, and they placed ads that were pro-Hitler and neo-Nazi videos on the streaming site ahead of the Republican presidential debate. I mean, this airing of these virulently anti-Semitic videos, you know, further confirmation of uh, how the Republicans' debate partner, Rumble, that is trafficked in extreme and toxic content for profit, the RNC directly is pushing fascist propaganda and hate to their bubbled right-wing audience. And I, how do, I just don't know how we get that bubble, those people in that armored bubble into these rooms and down at a table to start listening. Any thoughts yeah. about any of that, my little rant there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I'm not sure that those people are going to be the ones that Probably come into the not. room right away. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, it's, it's a tipping point, really. You think of a tipping point. And you start with groups starting to put new narratives out there in a big way. And, and they appeal to that exhausted majority. But it's, it's going to take a while. And the GOP, I mean, we can see that it's really not serving. You know, the, the Republican Party is not really serving the conservative voice at all. I mean, the conservative voice used to be law and order, and here they are. Yes, that's right. You know. <laughs> what happened to that? <laughs> or conserving and, money, and yet Trump right. gives a, a, another huge uh, tax break to the very wealthy. Is that, Therefore, the services people demand are going to cost more money. <laughs> 
That's they right. That's right. Not fiscally conservative at all anymore. That's right. That's right. Sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. So, I mean, once again, it has to be a large, we need a large pro-democracy movement that starts by having these new conversations and starting these new narratives that get put out there. I mean, we need to start, start really talking a lot about the exhausted majority. And what I'd like to see is groups in every state doing that, starting to talk about the exhaustive majority, and we want to do problem solving instead. We want to be oriented towards the good possibilities that lie out there. And really, you know, I think it it helps to give this sense of hope, like we don't have to settle for this. And a good example of that is there's an organization called Braver Angels that's been working on this for a while, actually, and now has a branch in every in every uh, state, and they're working on the campuses to try and have de- debate become more honorable. So there, there's obviously, there's a lot of us who are working on this. It's just kind of reaching this tipping point where we can start to, to actually make a difference because that voice starts to be heard more. Well, one thing that Stuart Stevens says, and he, w- he was a... Um All of his career was a Republican strategist and worked on Republican campaigns, Mitt Romney's uh, campaign for president. He just thinks that the Republican Party has to lose big and lose big over and over again before they will stop this, stop the degeneration of the country and and their own party. Uh, He just doesn't think this is party savable. What what do you think about that? I mean, yeah, the Republican Party. I, I mean, it, they, they, somebody was talking about this. I can't remember who it was now, but and they were saying, okay, they lost they've lost a number of times and they're still sticking with this loser. You know? <laughs> <I know. laughs> and um, that's certainly that's certainly good, but I also think there's, you know, there's interesting things like Andrew Yang is starting a party called Forward Party, where he's trying to get people to talk about problem solving and run on a third party. You know, it's like, and that could eventually become, you know, a new GOP party, basically, or some kind of new party. I mean, in some ways, I actually think the party system is not really serving us very well anymore because it's pushing everyone into the extremes. Well, I think... We'd have to change the Constitution. (laughs) I mean, we're a two-party system, and we have to change the Constitution uh, to to do that. I I would like to think another party would take over the Republican Party. However, usually a third party just hurts the Democratic Party. I would think a forward party, even this no-labels party, is um, something that takes votes away from the Democratic Party instead. Well, the great thing about that is he made the point they're not running a candidate um, on the presidential level. Mm -hmm. They're just running it Mm -hmm. locally. And I think that's where the change has to start. Mm -hmm. It has to start locally. Mm -hmm. And and it would be great to, like, have a state start thinking about, well, what if we... What if we agreed to have like a parliamentary system or something? Because actually what really works best is to have diverse points of view in the room so you can problem solve more effectively. I mean, we've got it all wrong. Our diversity is not a liability. It's our greatest asset. It's something to celebrate. 
Yes, if we listened to each other and we actually thought, oh, well, I have to take his ideas into account too as I, as I hone the best solution that will be most appealing to everyone. I mean, it would be much more effective to have people working together from different perspectives, having teams working. And I talk about this in my book, the idea that Lincoln actually had the notion that if he could have all these different perspectives in the same room, he could save the union. And we're kind of in a perspective like that, a time like that, I mean, where we need to get these different perspectives all in the room working to change the narrative so that we're not so all so exhausted by the, <laughs> the the battling back and forth which really is kind of a divide and conquer it's it's something that's been used by England when they colonized different countries they said well we'll get these different groups fighting with each other and they won't notice that we're colonizing them exactly and unfortunately, it worked <laughs> and we're we're suffering the same thing we're not noticing that our quality of life is going down at a terrible rate and we're all suffering there's just a very small percent of the very wealthy people who are doing okay at this point well one of the things you just said reminded me of one of my favorite stories Dr. Stephen Covey quotes, you know, talking about, you know, when you're communicating and you're, you're talking about your idea or your position, and somebody says, well, I disagree with that. And his response would be, oh, good, tell me more. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, to keep the conversation over, oh, good, what did I miss? If you disagree with me, then I must disagree with me because I want to know a better you know, answer a solution. You are listening to Be Bold America on KSQD 89.5, 89.7, and 90.7 FM. Many voices, one station. Listen globally online from the KSQD.org website. I am speaking with our bold guest, Dr. Ruth Backstrom. Ruth saw that people are yearning to have conversations about how to solve our country's problems. To address this yearning, Dr. Backstrom wrote, Igniting a Bold New Democracy. Find out more about Dr. Backstrom by visiting ruthbackstrom.com. We will be back right after Jim Hightower's commentary titled, Consumer Alert, Your Phone Company Wants Into Your Bank Account. Last week, T-Mobile, my cell phone provider, pinged me with a rude message. Henceforth, we will screw you out of an extra $5 a month. What? Had I done something wrong? No. Would I be getting some added benefit for my 5 bucks? No. It seems that T-Mobile bean counters have just arbitrarily decided that we customers who use credit cards to pay our phone bills online must pay an extra fiver each month as a payment processing fee. Yes, we're to pay them to take our money. Bonnie and Clyde were not that brazen. You can avoid the add-on if you give your bank account number to T-Mobile, allowing it and who knows who else to have direct access to your personal stash of cash. Uh, no. Tut-tut, say the T-Mobilers. Your private info is perfectly secure with us. Do they think we have sucker wrappers around our heads? Just eight months ago, their security system let thieves swipe the personal data of 37 million customers, including names, account numbers, addresses, phone numbers, and birth dates. Well, sniff free market ideologues, just switch to a competitor. But AT&T, Verizon, etc. have all adopted the exact same thieving give-us-your-bank-account scheme. 
Phone service today is a shared monopoly, not a free market, and it's now copycatting airlines, banks, and other monopolistic profiteers that constantly fabricate add-ons and pricing gimmicks to gouge consumers. This is Jim Hightower saying, T-Mobile rose to telecom prominence a decade ago by attacking its rivals for overcharging and abusing consumers. It ran ads publicly demanding that AT&T and others stop their greedy practices, quote, because it's the right thing to do. But now that it's a monopolistic giant, T-Mobile's new line is that might makes right. So it has joined the industry's consumer abuse greed game. The Hightower Radio Lowdown is made possible by you subscribers to Jim Hightower's Lowdown on Substack. Find us at jimhightower.substack.com. We're back. My guest today is Dr. Ruth Backstrom, author of Igniting a Bold New Democracy. Now, Dr. Backstrom, uh, you know, in your view, what, well, what does a political system that serves everyone look like? It's something that meets the needs of the majority of people. I mean, that's the beauty of that GI Bill, is it was moving towards meeting the needs of the majority of the people. And a 21st century democracy is what I'm arguing for, one that can meet the needs of the future as well, that can really prepare us for all the challenges of the future. Your, your book is working from the bottom up, you know, getting people to start owning their democracy and realizing that their participation, that it is a verb, <laughs> that they have to participate, they have to do right. something, and, and right now we're at that crucial point. Then there's the top down in leadership, and we've talked about uh, the Republican Party, and they're really, they're really a, um, a pro-authoritarian party now. They've just given up on democracy. But what I'm also worried about, like your thoughts on, uh, are the six people on the Supreme Court. <laughs> I heard you. <laughs> oh, that big sigh. Uh, you know, they're, they're implementing, in my view, their own type of a coup. Uh, right. When they make laws on hypothetical issues, they recently took a case, that wedding website case that maybe some people hadn't heard of, but a, a woman thought that she would, thought she would be hurt by law in her state if she did a, a wedding website because she didn't want to serve uh, on her website uh, LGBTQ clients. There was no standing. There was no case. There was no injured party. And yet the Supreme Court took the case now and voted on her behalf that she didn't have to uh, serve LGBTQ uh, members of our country. And to me, this is this is a coup when you take something uh, and completely ignore the law to make a decision. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's so many problems with that Supreme Court. We could spend the rest of the time talking about that Supreme Court. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> and I think I think this really brings up a really interesting question of who should have authority in a democracy. Ah, yes. Like, that that's one of the valuable things about some of these. Um, States that have had these abortion um, votes and had to be, you know, had to listen to the people. I mean, that's really the that's really the the point that has to be made again is that the, you know, the views of the people should be leading instead of this tyranny of the minority, as a lot of people are saying. Right, like what happened in Ohio? They just overcame uh, the Republican legislature who wanted to stop 
listening, officially be able to stop listening to the public. Uh, and they came back and said, no, you're not going to take this off of our, our ability to do referendums. Take that away from us. And, and they, they thought they could slip it through um, because of um, it was August and so on and so forth. You know, so that, again, talks about why democracy uh, is a verb. So you also talk about some tools for game-changing conversations uh, it, that work in the zone. Uh, tell me more about that, the game-changing conversations. What do they sound like? Yeah. So, I mean, those are the conversations that are happening in these DF um, sessions. There's usually somebody who, the dynamic facilitation sessions Thank in Austria you. that I was telling you about. <laughs> yeah. There's usually somebody there who says something that seems outlandish. And then when you dip deeper, you realize it comes, you know, it's a different perspective, but it's a, a perspective that needs to be brought into the room. Now, in the game-changing conversation, actually, though, I realize what is, you know, the conversation that changed, for instance, that brought in the GI Bill. Like, nobody thought the GI vets had um, rights until somebody came along and said, oh, I think they should have rights. It's like once you start to talk about these things, then you create a new conversation that changes the way people look at it, changes the perception. And that's the kind of thing we need to do. We need a conversation about what do we deserve and what's our legacy that we want to completely keep. You know, the, the investing in people, that is a payoff that comes over and over again. And here we are, we're in this situation where, you know, we're asking students to take become so encumbered with debt that they can't handle these huge things that are coming down the pike, like climate change. It makes no sense. You know, it's like we're, we're shooting ourselves in the foot. We're destroying the legacy that we created by going backwards. We need to turn around and continue to go forwards. Well, it we turns out that the most important thing for democracy to thrive is more democracy. Mm -hmm. And that's been shown in these citizen councils all across the world, actually. From Washington State to Australia, they've been holding these things that are called citizens' assemblies which is larger than a citizen's council. It's 50 or 100 people, and it's usually around climate change. And what people are, are, people are really excited to be part of these because then they feel like they can actually have a say in their democracy. And, and it happened in Ireland. They did some really interesting things. They took on a thorny issue like abortion, and they started talking about it. And they realized that the more majority of people really wanted to have access to abortion. So they, they changed their constitution so that they could. And they went on to take on more and more issues. And it became very popular, so popular in Ireland that they've, they've kept it ever since 2010 when they started it. And then in Gdansk, Poland, they did one and they said anything that 80% of the people want has to be initiated around a flood. They were having these floods that had not been handled well. And they, usually what happens in these is that people are given a certain amount of information they can look at, and then they make a decision based on that information. And that's true in dynamic facilitation. And they said, you know, they, they gave them their advice, and the next time there was a flood, it was, much be it was handled much better. And so it's, like, interesting. The, these are advisors. start as advisory groups, but once the, the people see how how successful they are, they can take on a stronger role. So you can pull the voice of the people back in in a stronger way. 
And it can be on a range of different topics. Like in Melbourne, Australia, they asked them to give them a 10-year plan to balance the budget. And they had like a group of 43 people. And they were so excited about this that some that one woman who was in labor was calling in her ideas from the labor room. <laughs> oh my. I love that. Great story. <laughs> and another guy canceled his vacation because he was so excited to be part of this. People want this. They want more democracy. We just have to come together and start demanding it and doing these things. We also need to decide as a country, as an and as an individual, what do we really want America to stand for? I, I right. don't know that people have thought about that for a while. What do we want America to stand for? What do I, as an American, want to stand for? Uh, do I want to stand for, um, you know, violence, which is growing in this country, versus, um, well, I guess, doing it politically? Uh, do I want to stand for force versus forcing like what Ohio did, the Republican Party trying to force in the inability for people to have referendums in their state versus elections. Uh, what, do we, what do we stand for as, as people and as a country? And in the new democracy that you're envisioning, do you have, I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, I had this vision of, a, of an agenda that every, uh, an agenda that most people sign on for. And then, each state could take a piece of it. I mean, there's so many changes. I mean, we're in this time of great change, as I say. We need to go towards a 21st democracy that can handle all the changes that are needed. And the best way to do this would be to come together, create an agenda, and each take a piece and start to imagine how could we solve this problem and then come back together and begin to push that agenda that we've all agreed on and finding ways. And I think part of it is finding ways at the state level. That's the vision that I have, is that we start changing things at a state level. And that's kind of you know, where some of the best reforms have happened in our country. Like Maine, for instance, I give the example of how they started funding their elections for their local um, legislature. And they had people like firefighters and teachers, people that would never be able to afford to run for office, going on to being elected, basically, because they were funding it. And uh, so it's, it showed. And then they created this very progressive, work-oriented, you know, middle-class-oriented agenda to help the working class get ahead. So we know that these reforms, if... You know, if we can do these reforms, they can have a really important effect. But we have to come together in clusters, even clusters of states, and say, you know, we want this. I mean, one thing that's interesting that's happening already is um, ranked voting, which is is useful because it allows ranked you choice to, voting. Yes, yeah, ranked choice voting. Thank you. It allows you to have people who are more popular get elected instead of people who are, you know, so much on the extremes and stuff. Well, I want to hear more about the game-changing reforms after a brief break. If you are just joining us, our topic is Igniting a Bold New Democracy. And my bold interview guest is Dr. Ruth Backstrom. Through her community advocacy work, work uh, Ruth saw that people are yearning to have conversations about how to solve our country's problems. And she adjusts this yearning by writing her book, Igniting a Bold New Democracy. Find more about Dr. Backstrom by visiting RuthBackstrom.com. 
www.bboldamerica.com. You are listening to Be Bold America on KSQD 89.5, 89.7, and 90.7 FM, Many Voices, One Station. I'm your host, Jill Cody. Join KSQD this evening at 6 for Cats on Dogs, insights for both ends of the leash with your host, Lori Katz. Lori is a certified professional dog trainer, and each month she welcomes another dog expert to offer advice you and your canine companions can use. That's Cats on Dogs this evening from 6 until 7 p.m. here on K-Squid 89.5, 89.7, and 90.7 FM and ksqd.org. Many voices, one station. We're back. Well, Dr. Baxter, in these last few minutes, I'd like to ask what ideas uh, my guests have for us to keep doing, stop doing, and start doing. I did want to follow up more about reforms because you said for a bold democracy movement, uh, we need game-changing reforms to shore up our democracy. What are they? What, what ideas do you have for those reforms specifically? Yeah, I think I think getting money out of politics, everybody agrees. Uh, amen. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no other country does that. I mean, it's they understand that's really antithetical to democracy to have people fund corporations funding their candidates. Well, the, um, and if I could just inter, interject because you you hit a button for me, and then we can go on. I just think it's important for people to know that what has happened, again, it's the Supreme Court has done this, and it started with a, a memo that Lewis Powell wrote uh, back at, uh, during Nixon's time, and then he then was put on the Supreme Court. And then talking again about the evolution over 40 years of how money has gotten into politics is that there, when Lewis Powell was on the court, there was Buckley versus Vallejo, which is the first time the Supreme Court gave money free speech rights. They put that into law. And then after that was the first National Bank of Boston versus Belletti that gave uh, rights to corporations money having free speech. Then there was McCutcheon versus the FEC that bestowed rights to individual money, giving free speech, and then Citizens United lifted the campaign limits, and then we got the dark packs, uh, the money packs that they don't have to explain where they get their money. And so all of these Supreme Court decisions vaulted the rich and corporations over us, so whoever has the most money has the most free speech. So that's, it took them 40 years, but that's why we have a problem with campaign finance, and it's, it is the number one issue. Any more thoughts on my rant there about campaign finance? Well, I mean, I already talked button. about Maine. I think we should replicate that. I think okay. we should start to think about funding at our state level, and then also coming together as people to organize and say, we're going to vote for these people. You know, we're, and and really starting waves of people saying, you know, we're tired of voting for the corporate the corporate candidates and stuff. We want to vote for, and I mean, some of that is happening um, on the fringes, but it needs to it just needs to scale up. And and some t- some of it is finding things, starting small and building up. You know, so finding something that looks doable. You know, some somewhere some place where we can figure out a way to to assert the power of people back into the equation. 
And and it's something that would be a great conversation to have with a group of people. Like, okay, what would really make a difference, do you think? What what are the ways, the game-changing things? I mean, part of it is just investing in people again and making the point point that we want a new we want a middle class again. We want a strong, vibrant middle class. We don't want to have so much poverty in our country and we don't want to have homeless people everywhere. I mean, some of those things just finding points of leverage to start those conversations and figuring out how to solve the problems. Maybe start up a meetup group. <laughs> well, actually, that brings me to an exciting thing, which oh, is uh, Karina and I are excited to announce that we're putting together a book discussion and a DF demonstration in Santa Cruz in late October 25th or 26th. Terrific. And we will have more details on that on my website. And Karina, on my website, which is Ruth backstrom.com and you can shoot me an email at ruth at ruthbackstrom.com if you want to be on a list to be notified of the details too and you can go through Karina who probably gave you her email which is Karina Karina with two R's in Karina uh, 1111 gmail.com and our goal here is to give people a taste of dynamic facilitation because I think a taste of it gives you a sense of hope and power. And it gives you a sense of the power of groups. And this is one of the points I make throughout my book is that it just a small collection of people can make huge changes. They did the GI Bill in, I believe it's North Dakota. They created their first bank. And it's just a small collection of people that started up and then it takes on a momentum of its own. And so I invite you to join us um, October 25th or 26th to start to discuss some of the things that we'd like to really take on as a group in um, Santa Cruz. Well, I'd I'd be happy to advertise it some more on my October 22nd uh, show. So if I have a little blurb, I'd be happy to, because that's very exciting. I'd be happy to mention it. And also I... To mention that this show is made into a podcast, as you know, and then there are people that listen um, all over this country, but also the world. So if they're interested in learning more, I know they can visit ruthbackstrom.com as well. So keep, stop, start. Uh, Do you have ideas for what we can keep doing, stop doing, and start doing to help you ignite a bold new democracy? I know this this specific event, but what else? Yeah, I would really like to see people come together in book clubs and start reading my book and start brainstorming together the things that they would like to do. And I'm happy to Zoom with them. And I have a number of different groups that are already kind of interested in this. And that's the next thing I really want to see is people coming together and having nuanced conversations and starting to think about what are the reforms that we'd really like to put our energy into and to bring diverse groups together to talk about. Well, and the questions they could ask, too, are two that you wrote in your book. One is, you know, how do we restore healthy norms to revitalize the soul of America? I thought that was a, a great question. And mm. another that you wrote was, we need to find our way back to each other. How do we do that? Yes. Yes. I, I mean, I think that's a really important one, and it's partly listening carefully to, like, what's underneath the conversation. Like another point I make in the book is that there's a guy, Marshall McLuhan, who, I mean, sorry, Marshall Rosenberg, who 
developed nonviolent communication where he found that he could get warring tribes to stop if they could identify their needs. And that's a really powerful thing is what's the real need underneath these things? I mean, and having culture wars sometimes doesn't really, it doesn't really, it's not really about the needs. But if we can get to the needs and then address the needs, that's a really powerful way of diffusing the conflict. Well, I would think one um, stop doing would be stop thinking of democracy as uh, an entity you have nothing to do with. (laughs) (laughs) That it is a verb. Or or it's too broken to fix. Yeah, or it's too broken to fix. Or uh, your vote doesn't count when actually it it does count very much. I mean, the, the oligarchs and... And uh, many people in this country are trying to steal it and suppress it. So if it didn't count, <laughs> they wouldn't be doing that. So it's knowing that your vote is your voice and uh, that democracy is a verb. And, and looking inside of what you're passionate about. Is it guns? You know, gun safety? Um, is it working with um, uh, saving our and restoring our democracy and maybe joining uh, an organization like Indivisible or or looking at your website studying dynamic facilitation. What what else? What other ideas do you have for us to keep doing, stop doing, and start Well, you doing? know, you mentioned one that is, in a way is a low-hanging fruit, which is, like, the vote. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's a good four-letter word. <laughs> if we started to have these groups, could we get inspired again to think that... A, what we do matters. I mean, that's the exciting thing, I think, in these countries where they've done some of these um, citizen assemblies is that, that people start to think, oh, democracy can be revitalized. It's like you have to start to do it to uh-huh. get the taste of possibilities out there. Otherwise, it's easy to fall into a space of cynicism because it's, it's a difficult time. The solution to apathy is action. and yes. and, and hope. Yes, yes, and hope, and hope. So another group that you talked about is people could join uh, Brave Angels. Was that? Braver Angels, Braver yes. Angels. Mm-hmm. 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 And then also I th- the idea of citizen councils and citizen assemblies. Right. There's all kinds of things that could happen, yeah. And you talked about it starting at the state level, but I, you're starting at the city level, and I think that is where somebody can feel like not overwhelmed um, right. They, they, right. If they look at their own city and say, okay, my city could have a council like this, and I'll just educate myself a little more on dynamic facilitation. I'll talk to Ruth. I'll read her book. And then approach their city council members and get it at that local level as well. That's right. And it's, and it's only an advisory board. Right. So they don't have to feel threatened. We're just going to get the voice of the people in. And the way it works is a council, and then there's these world cafes so that it's spread to the public. They don't have to feel like it's just a group of 12 people talking and nobody else gets input because right. the idea is to spread the input and right. everybody starts to add to it and stuff. Right. And it's very inexpensive. It's much less expensive than the citizen um, assemblies. Well, and it's also got this wonderful weaving together and diffusing conflict, which the citizen assemblies don't have. Well, our future depends on it. And you've written a brilliant book, Dr. Backstrom. Thank you for being our bold and impressive interview guest. Um, I really am grateful for your time. It's such an honor. Thank you for joining us on Be Bold America today. 
Well, thank you too, Jill. And I really appreciate your book, America Abandoned. I think that's great. Oh, thank you for that. And remember to learn more about Dr. Ruth Backstrom by visiting ruthbackstrom.com. What's up next on Be Bold America? Please join us on Sunday, September 10th for Warnings, the Holocaust, Ukraine, and Endangered American Democracy. As extreme right-wing political movements, anti-liberal fury, disrespect for truth and the rule of law, rampant othering, and whataboutism gain traction in the U.S. and throughout the world, stoked by demagogic figures like Trump and Putin, we must heed that warning. Dr. Leonard Grobe and Dr. John Roth argue that a dangerous contempt for democracy lies at the heart of recent and alarming developments, including the January 6th insurrection, the persistence of Trump and his MAGA right wing and Putin's invasion of Ukraine. These events warn Americans that democracy must not be taken for granted. It is in the crosshairs of authoritarian forces that will undermine our democracy unless renewed commitment, ethical as well as political, resists them. Don't miss Warnings, the Holocaust, Ukraine, and Endangered American Democracy with Leonard Grubb, Professor Emeritus of Philosophy at Fairleigh Dickinson University, and John Roth, Professor Emeritus of Philosophy at Claremont McKenna College on Be Bold America, Sunday, September September 10th at 5 p.m. As a reminder, Be Bold America is available as a podcast. Now you may listen to the show anytime by subscribing for free through your favorite podcast platform. I want to give a special thank you to my program engineer, Eliza James, and to our station's program director, Howard Feldstein. You are listening to KSQD Santa Cruz Prunedale. Many voices, one station. Listen worldwide online at ksqd.org. Stay tuned for Cats on Dogs with Lori Katz. My name is Jill Cody, and thank you for listening to Be Bold America. Until next time, keep, stop, start, 